You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they... Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 135. Today's reading is from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Brethren, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your resources and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for great generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Today's passage is frequently used when discussing the topic of giving money or or stewardship. So I'd like to begin by Discussing verse 7, which I'll read again here, it says, quote, Each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So St. Paul teaches us to give without reluctance or feeling compelled to do so, but rather with a cheerful attitude. But, of course, this is easier said than done, especially when our society constantly entices us with consumerism and, and acquiring more and more earthly things. Would you help us frame this teaching and how we can uh, overcome reluctant giving, Father? Well, certainly give it my best shot. And I would say for me personally, I think there are a couple of things to keep in mind here. And I want to start by piggybacking off what you mentioned, that we live in a society that's obviously consumer-oriented. We're constantly bombarded with advertising, continually pressured to buy more, acquire more, and as you said, to focus on earthly things. So I think the first thing we need to do is to learn to reorient ourselves. We have to be consistently reminded of the scriptural teaching, of appreciating God's gifts, and of sharing those gifts with others. This is such an overarching and fundamental biblical teaching. Father, I know in our our parish right now you're leading a Bible study on the book of Genesis, and I think there's some really poignant examples from Genesis that relate to this theme And on top of that, you've noted that the book of Genesis serves as an introduction to the entire Bible and that lessons we hear about elsewhere in the Bible are are first highlighted in Genesis and then are are later expounded upon uh, in the Bible. So could you briefly discuss this anti-consumerism sentiment that we find in Genesis? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most succinct and poignant example would be the story of Cain, Abel, and Seth. Now, normally, I think we usually refer to this as the story of Cain and Abel, but Seth actually plays an important role in understanding this story also. How so? Well, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with the basic outline of the story of Cain and Abel. In short, Cain is born to Adam and Eve, and then Abel is born, and eventually Cain murders his brother Abel. Again, this is something that's well known, but what most people miss is that strange statement that Eve makes When she conceives Cain, she says, I have acquired a son. It's a very odd statement, right? I always ask our mothers in the Bible study, did you ever say anything like that when you conceived that you had acquired a child? 
And the answer is, of course not. No one speaks like that. But it's not an accident that Eve says this. It's not a mistranslation either. In fact, the name Cain comes from the same root word in Hebrew as acquisition. So literally, Cain's name means to be acquired. And so what's the significance of that? So it's the first time the Bible is taking a shot at critiquing this human ambition of acquiring more and more and more. We humans love to acquire. It provides us with security to have more, and it often also boosts our ego to think that we're something quite special to have more than our neighbor. And the Bible is critiquing this ambition of ours. We see that criticism through the fact that Cain, the one whom Eve acquired, is the one who introduces fratricide, the killing of your brother, and murder into the world. This is the first murder in the Bible, and obviously it's a very serious sin. Right, that makes sense. So how then uh, does Seth fit into the story? Well, after the murder of Abel by Cain, the one who was acquired by Eve, Eve is given sort of what I would call a second chance, and she bears another son. But this time, instead of viewing him as an acquisition, she takes a different approach an approach that is lauded in the Bible. Specifically, she says this time that God has appointed me a son. And Seth's name, by the way, means appointment. So this is a totally different approach that Eve has. Instead of viewing her child as an acquisition, Eve views him as being appointed by God, as a gift from God, and not as something that she acquired. Now, to conclude this aside on Genesis, I want to highlight that Seth is the one through whom Adam's progeny continues. So the line that eventually leads to Abraham and then, of course, culminates in Jesus Christ goes through Seth, not through the firstborn Cain, as would have been normal and expected at the time of the biblical writing. It goes through the one appointed by God, again, Seth, the one whose birth was seen as being a gift and not as being something that Eve acquired on her own. Thanks for sharing that story, Father, and and showing us how it really pushes back against the consumerism that we're bombarded with uh, today. And to summarize your first point about, about being a cheerful giver, you're saying that we need to reorient our understanding of how we should live and that we should understand the biblical teaching of viewing the material things of this world as being gifts from God and not our own acquisitions. And you had mentioned uh, that there was at least one other thing that you wanted to mention to help us learn uh, better how to be a cheerful giver. Yeah, good summation there, Jason. And then as to the second point I wanted to mention, I would say that even if we're not yet a cheerful giver, we should still give, even if somewhat begrudgingly. Interesting. So uh, why do you recommend that? Because the Bible is ultimately teaching us ideals, and most of us are not yet attaining the ideal. But the only way that you can start working towards the ideal is to start down that path. If you're not yet in a place where you are giving cheerfully, you have two choices. You can either give reluctantly, or you can not give at all, which means you're basically hoarding your possessions and your time and your talents for yourself. And of the two, it's much better, in my opinion, than to give reluctantly because at least you're giving. And perhaps when you start to give, in fact, I believe this will happen to anyone who decides to just take the step, the leap, and to start giving, you'll begin seeing how this way of life is superior to the way that we're taught by our society to continue to acquire more and more for our own benefit. So as I said, if you're not yet a cheerful giver, at least be a giver. And I think the cheerfulness that Paul points out is the ideal, and that ideal will eventually follow our giving. 
Appreciate those insights, Father. So to conclude today, I want to turn to the final verse from our reading, verse 11, which reads, quote, You will be enriched in every way for great generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is one of the verses that's sometimes used to justify what's known as the prosperity gospel, that if we give money, it will then materially enrich us. How should we correctly understand this verse, and and what is it that Paul is actually referring to here? Well, I think as with any particular verse in the Bible, we always need to look to the broader context of Scripture, make sure that we're not just cherry-picking verses to fit our predetermined thoughts or theology. As we just discussed with the story of Cain, Abel, and Seth, we can understand the idea of the prosperity gospel is not fitting into the overall overarching biblical teaching. And I think that we need to understand is that we should see our blessings, in this case our financial blessings, our blessing of an abundance, as a gift from God. Because it is a gift from God and not something that we have fully earned or deserve. And if we see it that way, then we share it with others. And just as God has blessed us, so we also bless others. And we do so trusting in God to provide for our basic needs. And if we believe that this uh, situation, this helping of others, is merely a transaction that will help us get further ahead in life, then we're viewing it through the lens still of acquiring more. In fact, this is worse, I would say, than just the secular ideal of consumerism, of acquiring more, if we do it through this religious view this transaction because it gives us a phony spiritual and religious veneer under the guise of spirituality that we're then led astray. Thank you, Father. Our episode began today with a discussion around overcoming reluctant giving. Father Aaron stressed that in order to become a cheerful giver and leave a reluctant attitude of giving behind us, we must first learn to reorient ourselves. We must be consistently reminded of the scriptural teaching of appreciating God's gifts and of sharing those gifts with others. We then discuss the story of Cain, Abel, and Seth, and how Eve viewed Cain as an acquisition versus Seth, who she viewed as a gift from God. And Seth, this gift from God, is the one through whom Adam's progeny continues, which eventually leads to Abraham and ultimately Jesus Christ. Father then suggested that even if we are not yet a cheerful giver, we should still give, even if somewhat begrudgingly. In this way, we allow Scripture to teach us the ideal, and over time, as we move toward this ideal, we will begin to see how this way of life is superior to the way we are taught by society, to continue to acquire more and more for our own benefit. And if we see our financial blessings as a gift from God, and not something that we have earned or deserve, then we will share it with others. And in so doing, we bless others, just as God has blessed us. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Glory to Thee, O God, O our God and our hope, glory to Thee.